grace, mercy, and peace from our Creator, our Savior, Jesus Christ, and our Sustainer, the Holy Spirit, now and always to you. Amen. So this is the fifth Sunday of Epiphany, and so concludes our season. Next week, we will have our Transfiguration Sunday, and the following week, we'll enter our 40 days of Lent and anticipation and expectation of Jesus' resurrection and Easter. Whew. Much to do between now and then, but today, the Sunday, our last Sunday of Epiphany, we are shown how Jesus teaches and heals people and welcomes them back into community. The past few weeks in Mark's gospel, we've heard the beginning of Jesus' ministry in Galilee. So far, we know that Jesus announces the good news of God and proclaims the time is fulfilled. The kingdom of God has come near. Repent and believe in the good news. And we heard that Jesus started calling his disciples, and then he enters the synagogue, as we heard last week, and teaches with authority. And he publicly casts out demons or unclean spirits. Now he enters the home of Simon and Andrew. And they tell him at once about Simon's mother-in-law, who was in bed and sick with a fever. Jesus moves out of the public eye and into the most private places of our lives, our homes, the bedroom. Then Jesus enters their home, and he's, he takes Simon's mother-in-law's by, but mother's, mother-in-law by the hand and lifts her up. And then the fever leaves her, and she begins to serve them. Jesus heals Simon's mother-in-law, and she begins to serve them. Now, before any chauvinism creeps into our thoughts, this is not a scenario illustrating women's role as one of serving men. What Jesus' healing promotes is this unity, the inclusion of individuals into community. As Jesus heals folks in Scripture, they are once again invited back into that community. In the New Testament, when the people with leprosy was declared clean, it was his or her ticket to re-enter the community, to be engaged in, in work again, in family, in worship, and in life. When the demonized person was set free, he, she, or they was set free to fully connect again with others. Peter's mother-in-law was raised to join the community of her family and do what gave her purpose and meaning. The person who carried a sick one to Jesus walked home arm in arm with that one. When folks broke through the roof and lowered their friend into the room where Jesus was, that one was able to walk out on their own power and join in the community again. We can see these as stories of restoring human community and individuals and families and peoples being held from being healed rather from the brokenness that sickness, disease, and mental illness can bring. See, God is the one who enters the messiness of our public and private lives, offering the scarred hand of Christ to bring us into God's kingdom. 
This is how it's always been. This is always how it has meant to be. As we heard in Isaiah 40, have you not known? Have you not heard? Have you not understood from the foundations of the earth? It is God who sits above the circle of the earth, who stretches out the heavens like a curtain and spreads them like a tent to live in. God is the one who reaches into our lives, keeping promises, casting out demons to bring about healing for individuals and bring healing into communities. Who are those who need healing today? Who are those who need healing to once again be welcomed and an active participant of our community? I mean, we don't see the immediate miraculous healings today as we hear about in Scripture. Yet we do have medical advancements that fight illness today. So, so maybe instead of this immediate miraculous healing, we can see Jesus' healing in a broader sense, a sense of joining the Holy Spirit and unifying all people in the kingdom of God in community. So the last two sessions that I've had with the Wabash Pastoral Leadership Program, I attended in December and in January. The December's we focused on education in Indiana. And in January's we focused on hunger and poverty in Indiana. And there was a common thread within these two sessions of how lower income families, inner city, rural areas, minority families seem to be on the outside, especially when it came to justice. And I know that statement might ignite some heated conversation, but in the midst of our conversation around the table of the boardroom in Trippett Hall and Wabash College, one of my esteemed colleagues asked, do we really have any hope that things will change? And I had a physical reaction to her question. I mean, I jumped out of my seat practically as the others were voicing the same concern. And I said, of course we have hope. We are the voice crying out in the wilderness. We are called as Christians. We are called to take or to make the path straight, to give voice to the hope that we have in God who promises to be with us each and every minute of every day. Now, since being in this group of diverse pastors with incredibly different backgrounds and social contexts, I have been made more aware of my straight white maleness. And what I view as hope may not be what others view as hope. So my words were not met with the enthusiasm in which I was expecting. And as a matter of fact, coming out of the break that we took after that, one of our excellent directors told us, that we should not assume the responsibility to change the system, that we should not take that upon our shoulders. No one person can change the social inequity or cure all the isms in our society. She really didn't want us to be set up for failure. And again, I had a physical reaction. I might want to get that checked out. I immediately put up my hand and reminded folks, as follower of Christ, we are here to change an unjust system. We attend the Wabash Pastoral Leadership 
program to learn and digest information so that we can live more fully into the hope that God has already promised. We will never see the immediate change like the healings Jesus did when he was, as we hear in the New Testament, but, but that doesn't mean that we can't heal. That doesn't mean that we can't form a better society now. You know, as the Wabash Pastoral Leadership Program set out, at the very beginning, one of our goals of the program was to transform how we think and do ministry, to change things just by 1% or 2%, to lead to a small positive change in our communities. That is something we can do. So later in the day, we were invited to choose one of four group assignments. And I chose this one because I've never done it before about writing a letter to the editor. The assignment was write an article to submit to a local newspaper, Indiana newspaper, integrating the learnings from the session, hunger and poverty in Indiana, and bring the voice of faith, of the faith tradition to the article. And this is what I and four others came up with. We start out, what if there actually is more than enough? As a pastor in this community, I engage with people experiencing both joys and challenges. I have walked beside the father who is worried about how he's going to feed his children, parents who are concerned about keeping the heat on, and the mother who is stuck deciding between working more hours and staying home to care for her children. The dominoes fall from there. How will we cover medical expenses? What do we do if the car breaks down? Or can we even provide a good life for our children? But it doesn't have to be that way. During the pandemic era expansion of the child's tax credit, the number of Hoosier children experiencing poverty was nearly cut in half, with the greatest impact seen within communities of color and in rural areas. Experts suggest that in terms of the overall impact on the economy, high rates of child poverty have a higher price tag than the expansion of the child tax credit. Hear that again. Experts suggest that in terms of the overall impact on the economy, high rates of child poverty have a higher price tag than the expansion of the child tax credit. Legislation is already before Congress to expand the child tax credit. We, now, we know that the passage of this bipartisan legislation will transform our communities by strengthening and supporting families. We urge our elected representatives to pass this legislation and ensure that all of our neighbors have enough. Beyond today, we hope to see the return of pandemic era, era policies around the child tax credit that reduce barriers to access and provide monthly support to families with children. Benefits like the child tax credit demonstrate that there actually is more than enough. Submitted, respectively, our folks. And then someone from our group this week posted the following headline from the Washington Post on our WhatsApp group. 
House votes to expand child tax credit, beef up corporate tax breaks. The bill would move or help move low-income families' claims. The bill would help more low-income families claim more money and let businesses deduct more of their expenses. Expenses. Senate passage is in doubt, though. Now, I'm not saying that the House passed the bill because we wrote this letter. We, no one ever sent it in. But what I am saying is there's hope. There's hope to make a difference in healing our communities with justice and opportunity for everyone. As the world seems to be closing in on itself, as, as we get weary and exhausted by the politics and the polarity of our days, we have hope in the God who never wearies. Have you not known? Have you not heard? The Lord is the everlasting God, the creator of the ends of the earth. God does not faint or grow weary. God's understanding is unsearchable. God gives power to the faint and strengthens the powerless. Even youths will faint and be weary. The youth will fall exhausted. But those who wait on the Lord shall renew their strength. They shall mount up with wings like eagles. They shall run and not be weary. They shall walk and not faint. The youngest of us will grow faint, weary, and exhausted. But those who wait on the creator of the universe, the one who loves them, who will renew their strength, there is hope in God's love and justice. That love and justice will energize them to go out and do what God has called them to do. In Mark's gospel, as Jesus went out to find a deserted place and pray, and Simon and his companions hunted for him, as they found him, they said, everyone is looking for you. Did you notice Jesus' response? His response was, let us go on to the neighboring towns so that I may proclaim the message there also, for that is what I came out to do. And I think there's at least three things that we can take as invitation in these few verses. First, sometimes we have to hunt for Jesus and spend time looking for God's work around us. Second, we need to find our deserted places from all the distractions and the talking heads and then pray. Spend time talking with God, even if that means spend, spending time in silence, knowing that God's presence is a healing presence. And third, Jesus answered Simon by saying, let us go on to the neighboring towns so that I may proclaim the message there also. For that is what I came out to do. He didn't say, for that's why I'm here. He didn't say, for that's my mission. He said, I need to pray, proclaim God's message for that is what I came out to do. Jesus is out. The word of God has left the building, the church, the synagogue, the temple. He's out. Reaching into our messy public and private lives. And we can go out also. Because it's true that in this building and others like it, we are fed 
as we hear the word of God, we are blessed through the sacraments of bread, water, and wine, and we are heard through praise and prayer. Therefore, we are invited out into the messiness of our culture, invited out into our societies and into our communities to join the healing word of God in our world. When we find the word of God helping and healing in the world, we are invited to help and heal along with God in our neighboring towns and places. God has come out to do what God called him to do and guided by the Holy Spirit. So are we. Thanks be to God.